Last year around this time, I was feeling pretty good about myself. HBO was shooting the pilot based on my 1980s Lakers biography, Showtime, and the network had arranged for the wife, the kids, and I to film cameos. So we arrived in downtown Los Angeles, and I parked in the fancy lot, and we ate the fancy craft services, and we met the fancy directors, and then we walked over to our very own trailer, where the door was labeled Jeff Perlman, P-E-R-L-M-A-N. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode stars Marcy Holland, the veteran TV writer who has written a ton of scripts for Hallmark Christmas movies, which I swear to God, I friggin' love. This is episode number 187. Let's sling some yang. Dad, being quarantined sucks, and so does your podcast. All right, well, Marcy, this is a very special Christmas edition of Two Riders Slinging Yang. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to talk about Hallmark Land. It's a it's a fun place to be in December. It's funny because I am a I'm a dad of two, and we're liberal California Jews, and I love Hallmark Christmas movies. I find them like a warm blanket. I find them sort of just very comfortable and you're sitting on the couch and you December and you're bored and you turn on Hallmark. How do you explain the appeal of these things? Yeah. I mean, I think in these very divided times, Hallmark movies might be the thing that brings us all together. Yeah. I think the appeal is just that they're, like you said, they're feel good. They're comfortable. They're familiar. You know, we work really hard to not just tell stories that pe- we hope people find compelling, but also create a feeling when you're watching, very nostalgic, you know, seeing people that you recognize as your friends, your neighbors. I think that's it. It's an experience for a lot of people. And, you know, I have people come up to me all the time and they have these, I'm wearing my Hallmark sweater. I'm, I, you know, there's all this merchandise that goes into it. I think it's, it's become sort of event watching for people. It's very social. So I think it, it checks a lot of boxes of, you know, when it comes to comfort viewing. Yours is a world I'm not familiar with at all. And I asked you um, right before we started recording this, give me your most sort of involved Hallmark Christmas production experience. And you mentioned uh, time for us to come home for Christmas. It's a third in an anthology. And I'm really fascinated how this works because I have no idea whatsoever. Do you go to them with an idea? Do they come to you? And then how does it, How does it sort of go forward from there? So there's a couple of ways I get involved in a project. The most common is usually that a production company has sold a pitch to the network. And then Hallmark has kind of a familiar stable of writers that that they'll recommend. So I'll be approached, is this a project that you feel like is a good fit for you? Do you have a take on it? So those are most of the jobs I get. Sometimes... If I have a concept, I'm at a place now where where I will take it to the network and pitch it. I just mentioned that time for us to come home for Christmas. I was involved in the development of that premise too, not just uh, hired as a writer. So that was pretty fun. Uh, and then the third way I come on is rewrites. And that can vary from dialogue punch-ups to page one rewrites uh, of an entire script that they like maybe the premise of, but it's just not 1000% clicking. So what typically happens is I'll come on, say I'm coming on for a pitch that exists. I will take it to an outline, which is usually like 10 pages or so. I'll get notes from the network and the producers 
hopefully get greenlit to script. Then you have a few weeks on the script and then you go through a series of network notes and producer notes um, until you get it to where it needs to be. The network is really, really involved. You get assigned an executive and it's really collaborative between the executive, the producers and the writer. Hallmark also really encourages their talent to step behind the camera. So I've worked with a lot of actresses who come on as executive producers of their own projects and they also get really involved in the in the creative development process. So that's fun too when you work with somebody who's, you know, has to portray the character. They have really great insights into the story they want to tell. So Wait, I, I want to interrupt you and ask something. To me, as a sports writer and a guy who writes books, it kind of sounds awful. Like the idea that like a million people have this input does not sound wonderful to me. Like from my vantage point, the more editors, I'm always like, oh, no, no, no. Is it different in your world or is there that also? To be honest, I really like collaboration. I think it's probably why I found sort of a niche in this area and, and have settled into it. Because look, when you're writing any kind of movie, there's going to be a thousand people coming in with input anyway. I mean, you pa- ultimately pass it off to a director. They'll have input, you know, the investors, the actors. So you have to be sort of prepared for collaboration anyway. Um, so I think it's always helpful to just embrace it up front and get everyone really excited about what you're trying to do. And Hallmark's really great too about, you know, their notes are meant to sort of start a conversation, right? Like they're happy to hear you repitch something back or it's really just about creating the best product while you're working. So I I like the collaboration. I'll be quite honest. A lot of times the best ideas come from somebody else. So I'm happy to incorporate them. But yeah, no, I I actually, you know, the process has been really fun for me. So time for us to come home for Christmas. I'm looking at the Hallmark uh, website. Five guests are mysteriously invited to an inn to celebrate Christmas. With the help of the owner, Ben, Sarah discovers an event from her past, may connect them and change their lives forever. When you first write this, is that the story you are writing? Yeah. So that one was kind of funny because so the the one before, so we had time for me to come home for Christmas, which was uh, a Blake Shelton song. And it was, okay. the movie was based on his mother's book and it did well. So they said, well, let's do a sequel, but it, you know, the story itself was tied up nicely. So they said, well, let's just do it in the same world and use his song as an influence. So the second one was time for you to come home for Christmas. Wait, time out. You're writing a TV movie based off of the influence of a song? Broad influence for the so the second and third. It was more Wait. thematic. The song itself is really nonspecific. It's just sort of very um, charming Christmas imagery that it's, it's, it's not like a plot driven song, really. It's just about, um, remember being nostalgic for being home for Christmas. But are you Uh, listening to the song thinking like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? It's so vague. Um, I did listen to the song because they kept telling me to listen to the song. (laughs) They're like, we really need to, and because we include the song. So in the, the first one is about the main character writing the song. The second one, we involve a musical element where the song is played at the end. And in this third one, we reimagine the song a little bit and it gets played in a different <clears throat> in a different way. But anyway, the second one had a mystery element. And when we came back to them for the third one, they said, you know, we really like a mystery. And when I heard Christmas mystery, the first thing I thought was like a 
I just took it really literally like a straight up parlor mystery. So I basically was like, have you ever seen murder by death <laughs> essentially? Um, and uh, we thought it'd be fun to do just like a straight up Agatha Christie sort of um, setup, but you know, without the, the murder and mayhem, I guess that was probably the hard, hardest part was linking it back to the themes of the song, which was coming home for Christmas. And, um, and um because the main character actually does not go home for Christmas. She goes to an inn for Christmas. So, uh, there was some finagling there about making sure that lined up, but the song. There, is, wait, is there like a part of you? Is there like a part of you that's like, hopefully they won't notice that it doesn't have that much to do with the song. You know what I mean? Like, is there like, all right, I know I need to kind of have this in there, but not really have this in there. Kind of, can I just like, maybe, you know, you guys will be like, okay, yeah, that's good. And you know, I mean, they noticed <laughs> right away. Um, and again, I thought like, for me, it was more important to use the song because the song is actually a huge part of the movie. It's a plot point. Um, we retcon how the song was written. So in the first movie, it's written by the main character. And in this movie, it's retconned that it, it was actually a, a song written by a, um, a jazz band in like the eighties or something. And, and that album becomes a really important plot point to the mystery. So the, the song is super important. It's up front, but it's just thematically, it was more difficult to, to tie uh, since the song and the title of the movie is specifically about coming home that the character didn't go home. But we did this whole thing about home is actually the people you surround yourself with. So we, we have a, we made it work that way, but. Wait, so I'm so fascinated by this. I can't even tell you. So, you know, you have to kind of fit this into a certain degree with this, with the song you have, how long to write it and how do you go about, about writing this? Like, what is your, I hate to use the word process because it's so cliche, but I will like, what is your process you're given this, it's, it's greenlit. You're going to write it, blah, blah, blah. What do you do? Um, so what's interesting about made for TV movies is they're actually broken up into nine acts. Um, so each act break is a commercial break essentially. And so, so that's why it's nine acts because of commercials. It could be because of commercials. Yeah. And so, and this isn't just, this is actually pretty important because when you're structuring your movie you want at the end of each act break there to be a reveal or um a question like a cliffhanger or something that brings the audience back you always want to try to end it on something compelling that's going to prevent them from flipping off to a different channel so it, it does serve like a very important function when you're trying to lay out your your script so what i tend to do is once i get a premise i think of the big swings in the story or the big set pieces like the things you immediately think of when you get a premise right um and then i try to lay them out into those act breaks the biggest swings come at the end of act one so the end of act one is usually what sets everything in motion that's the longest act two it's like the 20 page mark the rest of the acts around 10 pages so that's the thing that sets your character off in, into motion wait so um, you actually know the first commercial break of a hallmark movie or tv movie comes later than the other commercial breaks yeah okay yeah and i think they just give you that time too because there's so much to establish at the beginning of a movie so and that's not just hallmark that's you know i've written for lifetime and sci-fi and that's pretty much across the board and made for tv movie is they give you those 20 minutes to set things up and then the subsequent breaks are much shorter for the and then the end of act four is another huge swing why is that it's the midpoint and you know it also sort of it's nice to sort of 
you know, these are essentially two hour movies when you when you count the commercial breaks. So it's nice going into the second hour to sort of upend expectations or the, the audience you know, is suddenly watching something much different since they've stuck with you for an hour. So, so I'll do that first in the outline stage. And then, you know, you build off of, it's really like a traditional three act structure in terms of like how the story's told, like a typical hero's journey sort of story. And then you sort of try to lay that into those act breaks. Um, And then of course, there are a lot of things that are expected of course when you're writing a hallmark movie like the the couple has to have the happy ending the end of act eight usually is the um the romance is in peril moment so you want to go into your last your last act after the commercial break hopefully genuinely wondering genuinely wondering if the couple is gonna (laughs) get together (laughs) and uh uh, those crazy kids are gonna see it through so there are a couple of things that are laid up for you ahead of time which is nice too um they're not specifically told to you you just know i'm writing a hallmark movie therefore i need this 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 and this yeah and again it's not even i wouldn't even say i'm writing a hallmark movie i think any premise of any type of movie, any genre, there are expectations of how the movie looks, right? Um, how, uh, you know, if you're writing a mystery, uh, someone has to die, right? If right. you're writing, there's there's sort of expectations, which is nice when you're trying to write these, um, you're not going completely blind. Um, and then from there, yeah, it's really about taking that premise. Uh, I like to try to mine it for as much as I can think of you know, what would be fun in this premise? What, um, so it's not just a random premise plopped onto a, you know, a formula. It's, it's, you're taking the premise and you're trying to figure out the best, most fun adventure you could get out of it. So with this one, it was kind of interesting because I was really thinking for a lot of it more in terms of how I would structure a mystery than, than how I would structure a a Christmas uh, romance so the first pass was much more focused on the mystery. And so in the subsequent rewrites, one of the things I really had to go back and do is work on the romance because that's really why, why people are tuning in for these Christmas movies right. is, the, is, the, is the romance. So, Would you say writing a murder mystery is more complex? It's almost like the complexity is making it a mystery. The easy part is making it romantic. So I got to take care of the mystery before I and I can throw in the romance later. I think it's just that the mystery was was what I was hanging a lot of the plot on. And so all the swings in the mystery were really a lot of the act outs. And a lot of the notes I was getting were, you know, some of these act outs need to be the relationship moments. They can't just all be the mystery moments because that's, you know, you want the stakes for the relationship to be just as large as the stakes for the mystery. Um, this one was really, it was much different than the ones I typically write too, because it was also an ensemble. So we had the Christmas romance, we had a, a mystery, and then we, we tried to, um, this movie stars Lacey Chabert. So her, her character is definitely up front. It's told through her perspective, but the ancillary characters had a ton to do. They all had their own sort of mini character arcs um, because essentially the premise was really about five lonely people with nowhere else to go on Christmas who sort of find each other's found family kind of set up. So there was a lot to do. (laughs) There was a lot to do in this particular script. 
um, sometimes in a more traditional setup, he, a lot of the plot hangs just on the romance. It's, it's you know, he, in Act 8, there's a misunderstanding or there's a love triangle or, or something like that. This one was a little unique in that respect. I don't know if you're like me or not. Like, I hate everything I write. Like, everything I write, I think, this sucks. It's terrible. It's horrible. It's not going to work. They're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. When you send in, you finish it, and you send it to whoever you need to send it to at Hallmark, are you happy with it generally? Or are you like, they're going to hate this? I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I want to throw myself out a window every time I submit a draft. Uh, I think that's that's kind of good. Again, I think that the best thing you could be when you're writing, especially writing on in made-for-TV movies that are so collaborative, is just you can't be precious about anything and <laughs> to be uh, sort of expecting to be to get a lot of feedback. And so maybe that inoculates me from a lot of taking things personally, I suppose, but for sure. I mean, it's no matter what you're writing, even if it's a gig thing, it's hard to put yourself out there for sure. Especially on those early drafts where you've written it and you're the only eyes that have been on it. And now a ton of people are reading it. Is it weird to be writing a Christmas movie in July? It is. uh, I always say that, I'm, I'm usually writing Christmas until it's Christmas. So by the time it's Christmas, I'm kind of burnt out on Christmas. But um, I had another movie this year called Jingle Bell Bride. It takes place in Alaska. And we really oh, yeah. made a concerted effort. We we're like, we're filming this in February. Uh, we're going to do it. And we were in prep and then the pandemic, everything shut down. So we almost filmed an actual snow for that movie. And then we had to film in mid-July. And so, yeah, I mean, there's only so much fake snow can mimic, right? People can point it out pretty quickly. I always feel bad for the actors because they're in these giant parkas and it's 90 degrees out or, or whatnot. But yeah, it's just the sort of nature of sometimes, yeah, sometimes if a script is kicking around long enough, then it will film in the winter. Yeah. But it's just the way Hallmark structures sort of their whole yearly slate is built around stunts. So they have like Winterfest and um, Valentine's and summer weddings. And it's just the way everything sort of falls in, in a certain way. So yeah, you end up writing quite a bit of it in the spring and the summer. Is it, is it weird when you write something and then you see it, I'm sure when you're writing something, you have characters in your head and you picture this guy, this look, looking this way and this woman looking this way. And, and then you see it and maybe it doesn't match up with what you were thinking or the characters don't look or blah, blah. Is that something you just accept as part of the gig? Does it not happen? Does it happen a lot? I think one thing people are surprised to find out about is that usually I don't even know the cast until it's being filmed or announced Uh, unless again it's a situation where an actress is an executive producer on it and then i'll know obviously know they're in it but i'll be honest like most of the time i think i've been really lucky with with the people who get involved with the scripts i work on and mostly they're just salvaging lines that i've retroactively cringed at like i can't believe i wrote that and (laughs) and then they've like pulled it out and made it really charming but I think that's kind of like the fun of it is that it does look so different on and off the page that I don't really watch it as the writer. I watch it as a completely new experience. Give me an example of like a cheese ball line 
the kind of thing you would write and then you're like, oh, please don't use that. Oh, I mean, I could probably write like a coffee table book of all the terrible lines that, <laughs> that I've written. Um, I would buy that book. Yeah, no, uh, I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head. I would just submit full scripts to you and, <laughs> and say go to town. But I mean, I think that's the thing too, is like one of the hardest parts for me at least about writing these movies is I am kind of by nature a little more cynical and sarcastic and you have to really tamp all that down and set it aside and try to be like incredibly earnest uh-huh. when you're writing them, uh, which does not come super easy to me. So sometimes the cheesy lines honestly are like a badge of honor for me because I think that they're the ones that people tend to rem- remember and, and um, you know, point out on Twitter or whatnot. You know, I guess I'm kind of proud of myself for like not being super self-conscious when I try to write something like <laughs> really, really earnest. But I'm sure I've written a bunch of, um, yeah. Um, now that I'm on the spot, I can't really think of one, but. So are you saying in your personal, in your personal life, you have never stood, it's a snowy December day and you never stood face to face from a loved, across from a loved one and looked up and said, we're standing under the mistletoe. <laughs> no, um, I would welcome it though. Why not? I think everyone wants their life to be a little bit more like a Hallmark movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing too. They're like, they're indulgent. They're, they're sort of like a fantasy element to them. You know, I never, I will say this though. I don't ever put like stuff from my real life in any of these. I think that would be strange for me. You always try to anticipate like what would be really romantic or what would be just very sweet. I think it's more that I think about beyond, beyond romantic is more just, I try to, when I write them, I try to just make them very sweet and pleasant. There are definitely some negative connotations with these films. And I think the number one is like, um, you see an actor and 10 years ago, that person was in a big movie or, you know, whatever, in a huge TV show. And now they're doing a Hallmark movie and there's a little bit of, Oh, that person. And I wonder um, from your dealings, would you say the actors you have dealt with are genuinely into the idea of doing these movies and pretty happy about doing them? Well, the, the ones that I've worked with for sure, because I think the vibe I get, which I totally understand is that Hallmark really has sort of like almost a studio system approach where they're very loyal to the people who are in their movies um, and not just getting them work in front of the camera. Like I mentioned, they really encourage them to, to, you know, some of them have stepped behind the camera to direct. Some of them have written their own Hallmark movies. Uh, I think it's, I think it's very creatively rewarding for an actor or an actress to have a place that they know that they can maybe you know, expand on things or, or um, you know, if they thought about directing this might, because of the relationship, they could go and say, you know, I'd love to direct something. So looking at your IMD page, you have a, you've written a, just a shit ton of TV movies and, and for Lifetime, for Hallmark. And it's interesting because I've written, I've written um, nine books and they're all sports related. And, you know, like my dream is to write Tupac Shakur's biography, right? Just as an example, that's my dream, right? A Tupac Shakur biography. And I have found it really hard to convince a publisher that this is a guy who should be writing two box biography. You're a sports writer. You've written and I wonder like, do you want to be writing Citizen Kane? Do you want to be writing Shawshank? Do you feel like you have that in you? And can you do that and also do sort of Hallmark movies, which are great, 
but you know, they certainly have a sort of, you know, a scope in an area where they are like, do you, do you have citizen Kane in you? Are you waiting to do that? Or is this sort of who you are and you love doing this? I think what has been really fun about my career so far is that I haven't, I guess I've been pigeonholed a bit in that I've done, I mostly do made for television, but within that I've done so many different genres. Like I've written shark movies, like I've written thrillers, I've written romance, I've written YA. So it's interesting. It's, it is interesting when you think about made for TV, I will tell you this. I had, I wrote a movie called caught and it was supposed to be sort of a tongue in cheek homage to, to made for TV movies. And it premiered at the LA film festival to pretty good reviews uh, directed by Maggie Kylie, who's incredibly talented. And then the movie was picked up by lifetime and the way it was viewed when it was on Lifetime versus the way it was viewed when it was in a film festival were very different. So, you know, I feel like I've had a chance to write a lot of different things. And for sure, I'd like to branch out into other things who wouldn't. But I think ultimately, it's just really nice to have work. You know, I've been thinking a lot about sort of the content that I put out into the world, right? Like trying to be responsible And that is a very reassuring part about writing for a place like Hallmark is that I don't really have to worry about putting something toxic out into a a sort of already turbulent world that we're living in. I wrote a book uh, years ago about the, whatever, the Magic Johnson Lakers, and it's becoming an HBO series. And I went out to, and they gave my wife and I cameos, which was really cool in the pilot. And I was there and I was on the studio set. And it's all going to sound corny to you, but, like, but it probably won't actually, but like craft services and here's your chair and here's your parking lot. And yeah, they spelled my name wrong, but that's okay. And the whole, like the whole thing, like the whole experience was truly dreamy for me, you know, just some scrub writer, you know, like when I wonder when you go onto the set and they're making something that you wrote or you hear them doing lines that you wrote, does it mean something to you? Or are you jaded by now that you're like, eh, just another day at work? I'm not jaded, but I genuinely hate going to set Um, because when you're the writer, you're the one person who has nothing to do. And so basically I'm always very self-conscious that I'm like in the way. Uh, So like I'll hang out by craft services for sure, but mostly I just feel incredibly awkward. Like everyone's rushing around doing, you know, nobody can babysit me. Um, I have only visited a couple of sets for that reason. Usually it's if I have like a really, if I'm friends with the person directing it or the producer who I, but other than that, it's just that part is not super appealing to me. Do you watch the movies when they come out? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I do watch them. And sometimes some projects I get to see dailies, like I'll be on the chain that gets to see the dailies and the rough cut. So I'll get some, I like that aspect of it, but strictly as sort of like a curiosity, like I enjoy watching it all come together and everything like that. I just don't like when I'm inserted into it. I guess like I just prefer to like uh, have it be me and my laptop in my apartment. And then, you know, the creative people can, on set can do their thing. How do you go about writing dialogue? 
dialogue is like my absolute favorite part of the whole process, to be honest with you. I think the thing that I have the most trouble with has always been structure. But with dialogue, you know, when I was younger, I always joked that I had my own, which is true, but I had my own subscription to TV Guide when I was eight years old. My mom used to leave it on my pillow when I would come home from school. I was just really, really fascinated by dialogue. I would, re- I would record episodes of television shows that I loved and I would watch them ad nauseum. What shows? Stuff like the Golden Girls, like, you know, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman was huge when I was younger. Um, Absolutely fabulous. Strangers with Candy. I mean, just like anything that I thought that the dialogue was really smart. And I think that was the thing is I paid so much attention to it that it became my favorite part of really of watching movies, of consuming media is was really fun, smart dialogue. So that for me is the best part of working on these things is trying to write really fun banter. Again, I think there's just, it's interesting the disconnect between like perhaps the person in real life and just the freeing nature of the page. If you want to say like just being alone by yourself with your headphones on and, you know, trying to transport yourself to a completely different world with completely different people. It's like one of those things too, where it's like, have you ever been in one of those situations where somebody says something to you and then like two days later you think of the best comeback ever but it's like too late you're not gonna like text them or something um it's like that except you know two days later you get to come back and write it on the page so i don't know dialogue for me i don't know if i have a process for dialogue other than dialogue and this is going to sound really pretentious but I think dialogue, good dialogue and writing is kind of like music, right? Like there's a rhythm to it. I think in general, like one of the pieces of advice I give writers who, especially for um, scripts, is I think it's important to write to the read, which means that when someone's reading your script, it should read like a story and you should put as much personality into it as you can. It shouldn't just be a blueprint for what they're going to do. Uh, once they get it and a director gets it in his hands. And so that is all sort of part and parcel of the same thing is that creating that sort of musical nature to it, um, having the read be really fun. That's part of the enjoyment for me. I think when I'm trying to lay out the script, when you're writing dialogue, are you putting in ums, uh, 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 you know, like the, the things we all have in conversation, do those uh, same things exist in a script format when you're writing? Not the stuff I write. I'm sure that if someone was writing something that was more of like a kitchen sink drama or something that they would put those in. I definitely put pauses in if I want to create maybe a comedic beat or if I want to emphasize a line. I try not to like overly direct actors though because they don't tend to like that. Uh So I'll try to control some aspects if I feel like the the exchange hinges on a certain, you know, a pause and a look and a, and a response. You don't want to overstep a joke, which can happen. If I always blame myself for that too. If, if, if a joke gets bulldozed, if I feel like it means that I haven't properly explained it on the page, but I mean, sometimes if a a character is stuttering for a purpose, for sure. But other than that, it's more, the stuff we write, it's more sort of like fantasy, like idealized dialogue, the witty comebacks you wish you thought of. I always think in journalism, people would say, Oh, you, you, this person's a very conversational writer, right? 
And what's interesting about that is a lot of times conversational writing, you wouldn't say it that way. Like if I'm talking to you, it's not going to read as conversational writing on a page. Like I wouldn't write a book and have it sound like this conversation, like conversational writing sounds different than an actual conversation. I don't know if that makes sense. Like um, people use the phrase, like, after all, like, uh, after all, blah, 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 blah. And they'll use that in writing a story, but I would never actually say after all, it just sounds like conversational writing. And I wonder like when you were writing dialogue, is it different than if you are actually writing what people would actually say in a real situation is dialogue writing as precisely conversational as a real conversation or is there a difference because it is a movie conversation? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not sure. I feel like probably, I mean, it's so, these are like so specifically crafted, right? Like you only have a certain amount of time to get everything you want in there. There's so much to usually do in the setting things up in the movie. And so a lot of times scenes don't really have a ton of space to breathe in general. So you want your dialogue to be fairly tight. Because you only have nine sections, basically. And you can't right. spend, you can't use 30 seconds of it asking a question like I just asked. Like if that question were in a Hallmark movie, it wouldn't be me going, see, the thing is blah, 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 right? It would be more like, how do you do conversational writing? But yes, but you would also be like making a gingerbread man while you asked it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is like you're a lot of times too. you're so these scripts tend to be between like 109 and 115 pages or whatnot. And you're asked to do so much that you're going to be finding anywhere you can to, to, to make it more efficient. So there's probably not going to be long winding conversations or pauses or ums i make up for it in real life but yeah again i i don't really approach these movies or really any of the made for tv movies and think to myself and this is going to sound strange i suppose but i don't really think to myself what would a real person do in this situation there's always sort of that cosmetic layer to these of like fantasy there it doesn't matter if it's a thriller or a lifetime movie or a shark movie it's the the wittiest banter and the cleverest comebacks and the you know the mustache twirling uh, monologues and I think that's the fun of writing them too. I always think there's a moment like it's kind of funny these movies they're again they're like warm blankets you never see the part five days later once he realizes he voted for Trump. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. I, although I made a joke. So in this one, in this time for us to come home for Christmas, the love interest, Lacey Chabert's love interest, he is a former like investment broker who has bought an inn. And I joke that his backstory is that he was a Hallmark, essentially a Hallmark heroine, right? Like he had like a, he was a workaholic that realized he wanted to make a life change. And so he bought the, the old Christmas inn. He used to spend Christmases in with his family, but we're just meeting him after his Hallmark movie essentially. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing too, is the, after the, the couple kisses it's like there's a lot of question marks i'm sure about what happened next right and a lot of these things don't get sequels either they're right. just wrapped up in a tidy bow two things about hallmark movies you never see the bathroom and they um they're always drinking coffee or a mug of something there are always mugs there are more yeah. mugs per capita in hallmark movies than anywhere in the world the one thing i will say about 
in terms of notes you get that have to do with brand. One thing that surprised me, so the first Hallmark movie I ever wrote was called The Christmas Cure. And obviously it takes place at Christmas. And I think I spent maybe a couple sentences on the first page establishing that it was Christmas. And then I went on with the script and the events of the script. And one of the the first notes I got back was, there has to be Christmas on every page. Like if you enter a bakery, like you, you have to write how it is decorated for Christmas. And I, and I was like, well, I, I mean, I just assumed that it takes place at Christmas. It would be, everything would be kind of Christmassy. No, it has to be on the, it has to be on the page. So I see people joking all the time when there was like a movie on recently where the characters kept referring to things as the Christmas such and such, like, oh, this is my Christmas cocoa or like, <laughs> these are my, uh, this is the Christmas garland or whatnot. It's like, yeah, that's like a very specific thing that the network likes to do. Again, to create, the one thing I will say too about Hallmark is that they believe they have a contract with their viewers, which is essentially to deliver a very specific feel. And it's very important to them. And so if they say that this is a Christmas movie, they're putting it on every inch of the screen. Um, And there's no incidental Christmas in uh, Hallmark movies. It has to be plot significant. It has to be all over the screen. Um, It has, you know, and that's true of all of their stunts. Like if you're writing a Valentine's movie, it, it can't be incidentally Valentine's Day. It has to be a major factor. Before we continue with two writers thinking Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. The Hallmark Network presents, he's a big city journalist who has returned to his quaint hometown to find the son who took hold of his heart. He's a son who took hold of his heart and loves Christmas music, eggnog, and throwback Ed Luther Jackson Robose jerseys from 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Daddy, you've come back for me on Christmas. I prayed for this day, and now you're here. Let's decorate the tree and sing Nat King Cole songs and drink eggnog. Son! Daddy! I'm so sorry. Because it's Christmas, I forgive you. Uh, yeah, I'm not really asking for forgiveness. I just, I'm sorry, but I want my 503 Sports Ed Luther jersey back. Daddy? No, kid. Your mom cheated on me with the neighbor. You're not even my son. Ho, ho, ho. Now give me the jersey. God bless us. Every one of us. I want to, uh, I want to give you a great opportunity. Are you ready for okay. the This is like me. Every now and then some athlete will be like, how would you like to write my book? And I'm like, uh... So here it is. It's going to be called a Jeff Perlman Christmas. Okay. Here's, here's, it's an, an angry Jew kid growing up in a entirely Christian town. And he gets really pissed off about Christmas and he hates Christmas. And then he gets older and he tolerates it. What do you think? I mean, <laughs> would you like an executive producer credit? I would, I think actually. I would. Are we in? Sure. I mean, listen, Somebody not appreciating Christmas and then learning to love Christmas is really the character arc we're all here for. As long as I'm holding a mug. Yeah, not the Christmas cocoa. Let me say the last thing. You went to University of New Hampshire undergrad. You applied to one film school, Boston University. You kind of said, if I get in, I get in. If I don't, I'll do something else. You get in. When you show up at BU and you go to film school at BU, do you have a plan? If you ask me what I wanted to be doing when I entered BU, it was probably, I really wanted to be writing for like teen dramas on the WB. I think that's, that's kind of what I was doing. And a lot of, I wrote two specs during that time that I used to get work after the fact. 
and they were both sort of teen dramedies. Although I will say about BU, if you go on the alumni page, I'm introduced as Marcy Holland, writer of Sexting in Suburbia. That was the first, my first job was a movie called Sexting in Suburbia for a lifetime. Go run, so go run from your past, Marcy. No, I, I, listen, I embrace it. But that I feel like, you know, you joked about Citizen Kane. I, I could write Citizen Kane tomorrow. And I think that's how I would still be introduced. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think, again, what was surprising and nice about where I feel like my career went was... When I was growing up, Hallmark movies, I'll just use Hallmark as an example. They didn't look like they look now. They were melodramas, essentially, usually based on true stories or books. And then in the 90s and the early 2000s, there were all of these wonderful romantic comedies that eventually they're left, right? The, the, you could go to the movie theater and see a Sandra Bullock movie or a Reese Witherspoon movie and then in the late 2000s and and on everything was sort of replaced by comic book movies or action movies um and then hallmark stepped in and filled that void and so if i if you would ask me in film school would i love to be writing romantic comedies i think my answer would still have been yes but it's been interesting (laughs) it's like the only way i could describe it has been again i feel really grateful that it's been so varied that even though it's been made for tv getting a chance to write you know, a, a psycho nanny movie one day and then a killer shark movie the next and then a, a, a Christmas romance. It keeps things interesting. I just want to say, and I, I mean this sincerely, I think your career is freaking amazing. And I think yeah. I really do. I think it's freaking spectacular and really impressive. And you seem very understated and whatever, but I, I hope you feel good about what you've done because it's freaking, there are a lot of people out there who want to make it in your business who don't, you know, and kind of flame out and move on. And like, you've, you're kind of kicking ass. I just, I just think it's really impressive. So uh, I hope Thank you feel you. good about it. I really do. Yeah. No, again, like I'm really grateful. Um, especially since I, so when I graduated from Boston university, I graduated in 2008, which was the economic collapse. Yeah. Um, so it was like a really rough couple of years of writing on spec for nothing. And what was your lowest moment? Um, I think my lowest moment was probably, I will say this because I think it's helpful to other people, other writers or people who are getting into the business is they always tell you to prepare for the no's, but what they don't tell you to prepare for is the yeses that go nowhere. And I had so many yeses that went nowhere that were incredibly demoralizing. What do you mean? So, so here's an example. When I was at BU, I co-wrote a sitcom with a friend of mine and it was a finalist for the Humanitas Prize. They had like a subset that year that they took entries from, from film schools. And so one of their categories that year was that, and we were finalists. We lost out to, I don't remember. We lost, that was the important part, but we had, it was almost like a 50 50 split with the judges. And one of the judges was um, an executive at Noggin, which at the time was a subset of like Nickelodeon or whatnot. And so there was a ton of talk about taking that to come and actually make it. Now I was in film school. I had just moved to Los Angeles to uh, intern at HBO. I had no money or any career prospects. And here I was being offered 
oh my gosh, I might have a show on a network. And, and then it just went nowhere. And then I had a, I wrote a, a romantic comedy with a very famous director. Uh, he was very excited about it. And we had a, a pitch at Sony and it went well and then it went nowhere. And so when those start to pile up, it starts to feel very um, pointless, I guess. Is yep. I would prefer just the you suck and I can move on. But the getting your hopes up part is tough. It's certainly not the lowest moment in my life, but in terms of like a writing something that I always tell writers to be on the lookout for is those when those start to, when it's like a long string of, of getting your hopes up it it, it starts to take a toll. I always cringe when um, my first book was optioned and I remember telling like my family, Oh my God, they're going to make a movie out of my book. This is amazing. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Of course it never happened. Never happened. Never happened. You know, I'm like in options, I'm basically one for probably 30, you know, and I always cringe when I see writers like brag on social media about their project being optioned. Cause I'm always like, now's not the time to brag, man. Wait until it's being made. Do not brag now. No. Yeah. I don't talk about anything until it's filmed. It's <laughs> like, I just, it, it's so precarious all the time. I mean, even if you could be through multiple drafts of something, you could be, they could be in prep for things and they could fall through with funding or, or all kinds of things. That's the part that's tricky to navigate it for sure is, is figuring out how to create some kind of stability. And again, that's why I'm really grateful to this component of my career is that right now made for TV movies are one of the few areas where if you make the right moves, I think then there's some semblance of, job security, knock on wood, you know what I mean? If you can f- create relationships and, and be reliable, uh, they just make so many of them that, uh, that you can, you know, try to create a career for yourself that way, as opposed to writing a bunch of things on spec and trying to figure out if anything hits. Marcy, I want to wrap with this. I promise you this would not be a video podcast. It is not. And you were very, uh, adamant about that because you said you've been cutting cutting your own hair <laughs> yeah, it's true. It looks good it doesn't look bad why are you so hard on yourself uh my hairdresser is like begging me to stop but uh, no are you I, literally scissors mirror yeah yeah it's it's terrible i mean i tried to do i told you i tried to do like the youtube tutorials at first and they lie uh essentially um uh, it was not happening the way that that the the video suggested the other problem too is when you're when you're looking in a mirror and you're cutting the opposite way um there's like a weird (laughs) it's like sometimes you can't find the right where you're gonna nobody can see what i'm doing but you're looking in the mirror and you're cutting across nothing because you can't figure out where your hair actually is Mm. it's pretty terrible hey marcy i have another present for you okay okay two struggling writers they both cut their own hair they meet on a zoom call they look up the mistletoe and they open a barbershop <laughs> in a small town what do you think uh, Chris- i mean i think we're two for two <laughs> well marcy seriously i appreciate you doing this so much i admire your career in huge huge ways you should be very proud of it it kind of kicks ass so thank right. you and again thanks so much i mean this was really fun 
Um, and it's nice to talk about writing is such a weird world to be in. And most of my friends do not have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, so it's always nice to talk about someone else who does it. You know, it's so insulating and isolating. Yeah. And isolating for sure. So yeah. So it was nice talking to you. I want to thank today's guest, Marcy Holland, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Marcy on Twitter at Holland Oats and watch her work all season long on the Hallmark Channel. Music is by the Dazzling MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.